Middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. With Tommy Castor, Weston Mills, and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Game. Some may say that we are wildly unqualified. Some may say we are only mildly entertaining. I say we are exactly where we need to be. Finally, we are back together. The full crew is here. Welcome in to the Keeper of the Games podcast. This is episode number 73. We are the only podcast, as far as we know, focused on sports in and around and of interest to Wichita, Kansas. I am your host, Blake Cripps, and we welcome back from the depths of sleeplessness Tommy Castor has made the trip up from his basement. Maybe he's in his basement. He has pulled himself out of bed, and uh, he is back with us on the show. Congratulations on the kid. First of all, how's the baby doing? How's mom doing? And then how are you dealing with the complete lack of rest that is worn all over your face? Yeah, baby is great. Uh, Mom is doing well. She's a rock star. Um, I'm exhausted and that's okay. I mean, that I kind of kind of figured that was going to be the case, but uh, no, we're we're good. We're hanging in there. Um, uh, Somebody asked me a couple of weeks ago what the biggest surprise was about being a father. And I think Weston, you can probably relate to this. Uh, My answer immediately was the fact that I can still function at a decent level on just a couple of hours of sleep every night was absolutely shocking to me. So everything is good. We're uh, we're happy. Little guy is great. And uh, I'm glad to be back. Weston, you have just recently been through this. Uh, When does it start to get better? Or are you going to give Tommy some really bad news that he's got a lot longer to look forward to before some sort of normality returns to his sleep schedule? Earmuffs, Tommy. Um, so things Uh. definitely get better. There's no doubt. Uh, I will say, and I've told this to other people too, at about somewhere between like two and a half and three and a half months when your baby starts interacting with you, that is, that in and of itself is a game changer because you switch from just taking care of this human life to like, this is my child and you're interacting with it. But I will say this is a, this was a terrible time for you to ask me this question in front of Tommy Blake, because Parker has hit the eight month regression. Uh, so apparently there's oh. these monthly regressions. So we have been up the last, oh, about two and a half weeks. And it's a little bit different Ooh. at that age. Like with Parker, yeah, I, I'm going in there, picking her up, putting her on my shoulder, immediately falling asleep. But it's still just that constant waking up. And it's not as much as in the beginning. So it certainly, certainly gets better. But there's all these regression stages. They just don't train you on these things, you know, prior to. So uh, you just kind of got to learn the fly. But no, it get, it does. It gets so much better. Yeah, well, we'll see how that works out for uh, your your situation there, Tommy. If you want to get in touch with us, I'm not sure that Tommy will be awake to actually reply to you <laughs> on Facebook, but you can get in touch with us at fe- facebook.com slash keeperthegames. Cogsports.com, of course, is the website. And at Cogpod on Twitter, those are always the best ways to get in touch with us. We'll post when we get the new episodes up. YouTube, you can watch the shows if you dare, as always. Best place for the podcast, as always, is our website at cogpod.podomatic.com. And we pretty much post it almost everywhere on the internet that takes podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google, Apple, and so much more. 
Today on the show, we're going to get you updated on the Wichita wind surge. It's been a while. An absolutely dreadful story regarding Kansas Jayhawks football. We'll also get Tommy's belated thoughts on the Kansas City Royals. But we begin today on a bit of a melancholy note. This is going to be Weston's final show with us, the founder of the Keeper of the Games podcast, has decided to step away. Weston, I wanted to give this opening segment to you. You'll also have a chance in the closing segment, but if you'd like to kind of explain to the listeners your thought process, your feelings, and, and why you feel like this is the right decision for you at this time to walk away from the show that you helped found in the middle of that coronavirus pandemic. Yeah, I just wanted to, to let everybody know I'm starting my own podcast called The Weston Mills Show. Tommy and Blake would not let me thrive <laughs> like I needed to. No, no. No, uh, yeah, and that's actually the timing of this today is perfect because uh, you know just a lot of things going on. Obviously, Blake talked about you know myself. I've got an eight, eight month old daughter, and then my work. Um, we've we've talked about it a little here and there in the show, but I I don't have my own law firm, but I am kind of the guy who runs a certain location for really for the Midwest for for a particular uh, firm that was based out of California. We're actually opening up and I'm, I'm gonna I'm you guys that are watching will see my air quotes we're opening up an office in Wichita even just as the work just continues to come in for us um, the guy that I started my firm with actually stepped away uh, so it's just kind of all on me right now and it just really one of those things where you know you love to keep going but the priorities between the daughter and, and you know the the job that actually pays the bills. If you guys would have contributed a little bit more uh, on the listens and downloads and likes, maybe I could have dedicated more time, but it, it just was the, the right time for me to step back. And I, I told the guys, you know, this, this, well, this is the last of me regularly on the show. It's not going to be the last you hear from me. I, I told Tommy and, and Blake, I, you know, I'm more than happy to, to fill in here and there. Or, you know, if you, if for some reason you guys actually want to hear me rant about Frank Clark again in September, I'm more than happy to come on the show and and do it. Uh, we can talk uh, Patrick Mahomes anytime, any place, anywhere. Jayhawks, Royals, all the other goodness uh, that that I've brought to the podcast. So that's what's going on with me. It's been great. You, you, everybody's in great hands with Tommy and Blake, and and I'm looking forward for the last show. So one final show here for Weston and. Uh, Geez, may, might we d see the dreaded return one last time of the Weston Whip Around. Let's go. You'll have oh, to wait man. till the end of the show for that. So, uh, we will start today, though, with uh, a, a little bit of a pause here, obviously, as we hit the All-Star break. The Kansas City Royals entering the All-Star break. In last place in the American League Central. Time to play that game. Do the Royals suck? And the answer is absolutely. They're terrible. 36 and 53. Chicago is in first place in the American League Central. They have been absolutely fantastic this year. I think maybe even a little bit better than some teams thought that they were going to be. Some, some uh, websites thought that they were going to be. Minnesota is by far the biggest disappointment in the Central. You've got Cleveland, 45 and 42. They are eight games back in the division at the break and then the rest of the division is nowhere close detroit's 15 games back minnesota's 15 games back they're both under 500 and the kansas city royals are 36 and 53 the third worst record in the american league you've got boston and tampa bay on top of the al east houston and oakland on top of the al west and in the national league the mets in philadelphia in the east Brewers and the Reds in the Central, Giants and the Dodgers rivalry in the NL West. But 
The Royals, of course, anointed by many the best team in baseball just weeks into the season. Of course, I threw cold water on everybody and told you to slow down, and this is why. The Royals are not that good. Tommy, Weston and I have discussed this over the last few weeks about how bad the Royals are, why they are bad. We have not heard from you, though, in about a month. Uh, I have, I, you know, I probably should check in. The Atlanta Braves? Okay, your Braves are fine. So you, it, you've uh, had no, something. Well, they're one game below 500. they They're right in the yeah. thick of the NL East. But, but, uh, but Ronald Acuna Jr. tore his ACL over the weekend, and he's out for the season. So that's, that's going to do it for the, for the Braves' chances, I that's, think. But that's, that's not that's, great. That's neither but, here nor there. But we have not heard from you, from you about your thoughts about the Kansas City Royals. It's been a rough time while you were away. How much Royals baseball have you gotten to watch? And you can't possibly have liked anything that you've seen. You know, here's the thing. Kind of surprisingly, I've watched more baseball in the last six weeks than I have in a long time. And I think it's just because, you know, like I I watched it a lot when we had like when we first came home from the hospital with our baby, because they, you know, it's kind of a calm game. I can sit back and relax and watch it. I'm not like it's not like football where I'm like in it and like yelling at the TV. And it goes on for a while, and it's going on live. It makes me feel connected to the world while I'm sitting at home, you know, with a baby for hours at a time. So I've watched a lot of baseball over the last six weeks, and I've watched a good amount of Royals baseball. Uh, I think I can sum it up pretty succinctly by saying the Royals and the Indians got rained out on Sunday, the last game before the All-Star break, and that was merciful for Kansas City that they didn't have mm-hmm. to play one more game before the All-Star break. Uh, they got blown out by Cleveland the game before on Saturday, 14-6. to The only bright spot in that game was the fact that it wasn't a walk-off. I feel like there have been so many walk-off, win- or walk-off wins against the Royals by various teams over the last several weeks. It's just been really, really bad, and you know, I think a lot of people point to that what 11 game losing streak or whatever it was several weeks ago as the turning point. And yeah, that's, I think that's fair and that's accurate, but at the same time, the way that the Royals are playing baseball right now, it's uninspired. They're not, uh, they're losing, but it's not like they're losing a lot of close games. They're getting blown out. There just isn't, there isn't a whole lot of, of, positive to say about Kansas City. Obviously, Salvador Perez is an all-star. Whit Merrifield is an all-star, but there really isn't a whole lot to write home about. And so I think you have to start turning your attention to what are we doing here with the Royals? Uh, It was one thing when they were winning. It was another thing when they were around 500. Now they're, you know, 17 games under 500. Uh, What do you even do do here? Is it time to start looking at changes that maybe need to be made on the roster? What do you do? Because the definition of insanity is is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So I don't have the answers necessarily, but it's kind of like what we talked about this, guys, before I even left the show uh, back in May about how bad Jorge Soler and Hunter Dozier had been. But then the the thought process (laughs) is, who do you even replace them with? Like, what are your options there? It's kind of like, yeah, we're only a couple of weeks away from the trade deadline. So you would think that the Royals would be sellers, but who do they even really have to sell at this point? So there are a lot of question marks that I don't have the answers to. I just know it's not been very good. 
Yeah, I mean, we, we can talk about this till we're blue in the face. Nothing changes. I think the only thing that has changed from last time we talked, Blake, is I said, I think last show I said, look, it's not impossible that the Royals, but it's highly improbable. Now it's virtually impossible. Again, not mathematically eliminated, <laughs> but it is impossible status now. The season's over. It's done. You're absolutely building for 2022. You know, and Tommy's right. I, I think the trade deadline's going to be boring. I think it's. I think Royals fans are not going to be... I still think think moving Andrew Benintendi makes a lot of sense, but he didn't come back. He's not been back in time to really showcase to folks. I mean, maybe you've got that body of work from the beginning where he can move. But yeah, you know, that peak that I'm talking about, you know, I said, hey, look, it's, you know, you traded for him. You hate to then turn around and trade him again, but you should get more than what you spent because he's played so much better. He had the, the bounce back year. Well, now he's injured. So, and, and well, look, you know, he's back, but, you know, are you going to get that return of value that you would have got two months ago? And if not, then you might as well keep him because, again, the Royals told the fans with their actions that they were ready to compete in 2021. So now they have to, again, make that attempt in 2022. They they have to do it. So if you can't get more for Benintendi than what you uh, than what you sent away for him, then you keep him for next year because you got him on the roster. You liked what you saw. Um, and it's absolutely time to start looking at some of these young guys. If Bobby Witt is ready sure. to get major league at bats, Bobby Witt needs to be getting major league at bats. If Nick Prado is ready to get major league at bats, he it's time to get major league at bats. So that's where we're at. I think for Royals fans, focusing on those things, and it sucks because that's what it's been the last four years of like, oh, look at the development of this guy, or yeah, but we've got these group of pitchers in the minor leagues and they're going to all come up. Well, a lot of them are up now and we haven't, but that's okay though. Just because they had a bad year this year does not mean that Brady Singer, Chris Bubich, uh, Daniel Lynch, that those guys aren't going to be good moving moving forward. They just weren't ready yet. Um, But whatever the developmental steps to get them ready, and I don't know whether the answer is major league innings or minor league innings, but whatever that is to further develop, develop them, that's what needs to be done at this point. But here, here's the thing, Weston. I want to, I want to have a little bit of a rebuttal here. It's, I, I agree with you that it's, it, you got to give some of these young guys an opportunity, especially offensively. I would love to see Bobby Witt Jr. and Nick Prado uh, playing for the big league squad. I would absolutely love that. But uh, you, you look at the rotation. Uh, obviously, we know what happened with Daniel Lynch. We know what happened with Jackson Kowar. They came up way too early for Kansas City, but there really aren't a whole lot of other options. I think you've got to look at, okay, is there another guy that's a veteran that we can go after? Somebody that can help, you know, stabilize this rotation. You take a look at, you know, the five starters for Kansas City. Obviously, we know that Danny Duffy has performed, you know, the best. He was on the shelf, you know, for a while. But they're really, other than Danny Duffy, I mean, there's not a a pitcher for the Royals that has an ERA under four in the starting rotation. Mike Miner's ERA is almost six. Brad Keller's ERA is almost six. Chris Bubich is over five. Brady Singer is a little bit better, but you know, it's not just like a couple of the guys are not really performing. The majority of their rotation is not performing. I don't think that automatically Daniel Lynch and Jackson Kowar, and even if you go down further, guys like Asa Lacey are the answer necessarily if you're building for 2022. You've got to try to find some other guys who are currently big leaguers that can come in, that they can try to acquire, whether via trade or free agency in the offseason, to come in and fix this rotation. See, that's I don't know if that's a problem for this year. I don't think that there's any I'm talking about remedy. next year. 
Sure, yes, for next year. This year, there's no remedy for what's going on this year. It, it, it's over for this year. There's no... Th th Mike Miner had a bad June, a disastrous start to July. Keller's had yeah. a couple of good starts in July, but he was awful, awful in June. And here's the other thing, too, Tommy, because I do agree with you that the Royals do need to make sure that they put guys in a position to be successful and not bring them up. Here's the thing. You're worried about them not getting major league, you know, getting major league at bats out of Bobby Wood Jr. and Prado and all these other guys. They ain't getting major league at bats out of Jorge Soler right now. They're not getting major league at bats out of Hunter Dozier, and they haven't been for pretty much the whole season for maybe, you know, a couple weeks stretch for Soler and maybe two games for Hunter Dozier. I know he had the streak early in the year where he was hitting the ball pretty well and he was doing a good job of putting hitting the ball hard and maybe was getting a little bit on lucky and that's a little bit different i understand that since then what have you done he's hitting under 180 okay you cannot rely on this argument that he's hitting the ball hard i've watched him play he's not hitting the ball well at all here's the other thing tommy and we talked about this with weston actually a couple of weeks ago dayton moore has been at the helm of the Royals franchise since 2006. Now, he was hired in the summer of that year, as you remember. So I'm not sure you can put the three straight 100 loss seasons on him when the Royals were just all-time awful, 04, 05, 06. Since then, Royals lost 90-plus games in 07, 2009, 10, 11, and 12. And then all of a sudden, 2013, 14, 15, 16, uh, and 17. Give them 17 too. They won at least 80 games in all those years. We know what they did in 2014 and 2015. Unbelievable. 2018, 100 losses. 2019, 100 losses. Last year, they had a 433 winning percentage in the shortened season. Not sure you can really build anything on that. And right now, the Royals have a 404 winning percentage, but they've lost three of their last 10. So they are trending in the wrong direction. They have lost four in a row. They are absolutely atrocious away from Kansas City. They're 15 and 31. So, Tommy, you've mentioned changes in terms of the roster, in terms of how the pitching needs to get better. At what point, I asked this to Weston. Weston, I'll let you follow up again if you have any other thoughts on what Tommy's about to say. But when do you look at the front office and say, okay, Dayton Moore did this once, but I'm not sure that I've got confidence that he is going to be able to do this again? You know, Dayton Moore is a disciple of John Sherholz. And, you know, obviously John Sherholz had uh, tremendous success with my Atlanta Braves throughout the 90s and early 2000s. Uh, and John Sherholz was a Kansas City Royal before he went to Atlanta. Dayton Moore came up in the Braves organization, studied under John Sherholz, and uses a lot of his same principles and philosophies. Tommy, He's you're very a Braves much fan. How, how, in, how important, how involved was Dayton Moore with the Braves while he was there? I mean, he he did a lot of the scouting. He was involved in that. Um, you know, the the Braves, especially in the '90s, really relied on their farm system that they sure. had built up in the late '80s when they were really bad. And that's where you got guys like you know Tom Glavin and Steve Avery and you know Chipper Jones and you know some of those guys uh, that really carried the Braves to a ton of success through the rest of the '90s and into the early 2000s. Um, and, and that's you know Dayton Moore was there you know during during that time period. And a, a big reason why he ended up in Kansas. 
Kansas City was because of the success that he had with John Scherholz in Atlanta. But, you know, one of the big things that Dayton Moore has always preached is trusting the process and building it the right way and not going out and getting, you know, flashy free agents and not going out and making big trades and, you know, things like that. It's all about homegrown and, you know, getting the guys in your system from day one and building them up from the ground floor. That's admirable. And I I think that's a that's a great process in theory when it's executed and, and well. It, it did work for Kansas City. It, they it got did. the championship. It worked. It did. It's not working anymore, unfortunately. No, that doesn't not. mean that doesn't mean the philosophy is wrong. It doesn't mean that Dayton Moore is a failure. It doesn't mean anything. But I go back to that, you know, that old saying of, you know, adapt or die, you know, and that's kind of where that's kind of where we are right now. It's like you either need to adapt away from that process a little bit and try to find a new formula that will work. Or maybe it's time for the Royals to make a little bit of a change there. And, you know, you, you can't discount what Dayton Moore did for Kansas City. He brought a championship to the Royals. He was the architect, you know, of, of that of that roster uh, during that stretch in 2014 and 2015. Uh, that was magical for Kansas City. Nobody can discount that. But as we all know, it's not just baseball. It's sports in general. It's very much a what have you done, what for, have me you done for me lately? lately? industry and they're just really they're, there's really nothing right now to hang your hat on for Kansas City. Dayton Moore was quoted before the season even started as saying that he expected the Royals to contend this year. He was quoted as, as saying that. So this has been a disappointment. If you could start to see process, if you could start to see improvement or signs that pointed towards the Royals, maybe not contending this year, but the building blocks are in place for 2022 and beyond, it might be different. I just don't have faith in the squad that he's put together to do anything in the future. And unfortunately, that leads me to believe that I don't have a lot of faith in Dayton Moore. Yeah, a couple things to unpack there for me. Um, one, you know, I want to circle back to kind of what you were talking about earlier with Daniel Lynch, Jackson Coward, and it, it, it really circles into, I guess, what you're just now saying. That's kind of, to me, the thing about those guys, Daniel Lynch, Jackson Kowar, Chris Bubich, uh, Brady Singer to some degree, you know, you said, well, maybe we look at bringing someone in, you know, because if you want to get to 2022, in my opinion, if those guys aren't going to pitch at a level, 2022 is out of the question no matter who the Royals think they can get because that's where this organization is at. It's never going to be able to go out and pay that $150 million for a right-hander that throws 99 and has a curveball that's 12-6 to 6 and can dot anywhere from, you know, on the plate. That, that's just never going to happen. So they have to be able to build up. So to me, it's either Jackson Coward, um, Daniel Lynch, Asa Lacey, or it's not 2022 at all. Like, that's just gone. It's off the plate, in my opinion. It ain't going to be Daniel Lynch unless something but, dramatic but see, changes West. And that's the th- that, to me, and that's the thing. So going back then to Dayton Moore, and I, I, I couldn't disagree more that we're anywhere close to letting Dayton Moore go. But, again, and we talked last week, and that's because I think you still have those young guys in the position where you can still, as a fan base, right or wrong, go, Oh, that young core—they're not ready yet. They're, you know, they can't, like, like just like we were talking, they got called up too early, 
as long as fans can say that, I think Dayton Moore has no risk. So next year, or certainly the year after that, when all of a sudden that young core that we talk about all over and over and over aren't producing, now all of a sudden that that five-year plan, because as a small franchise, that's what you have to do, it's fallen apart, right? So um, I think... Dayton Moore, I think there's almost no other option than for him. There's got to be some sort of firing, a, a pitching coach, a but hitting coach. You, hey, I, let, let me just let, let me just throw this out there really quick because I, I want to go back to what you just said as far as a five year plan. If if these guys don't work out, your Daniel Lynch, Jackson Coar, Bobby Witt, all of those guys, if they don't work out. Can't Dayton Moore just say, well, now we've got these other guys in, you know, triple A or double A that in a couple of years, they're going to be ready. Like you can always reset that clock. When is enough going to be enough? Of of course you can. But this this group of players, at least maybe and maybe my fan brain is different than a majority of the fan brains. But I think of this this young core and the the pitching staff and kind of Bobby Witt and and Nick Prado. They're kind of on that back end. Uh, Hunter Dozier a little bit, you know, is kind of there too. I think of that as the group that he put in place to to follow the World Series team. This is the core that was supposed to follow Hosmer, Moose, Gordon, all that group. And you're right, absolutely. And that's absolutely what he will do is, oh, we've got these guys and these guys in the minor leagues. But I think as a fan base, this is the core that was supposed to, that was promised to be the group to follow our World Series guys. So if they implode, then you're going to start having problems. Um, you know, and that's what kind of why I said, I, to, I think for Dayton Moore, I think, I think a pitching coach, hitting coach, somebody has got to get fired. Otherwise, he's admitting that he doesn't, he didn't put the right, roster in place right so it's kind of like and you can argue about whether it was or wasn't but i think the message that needs to be sent is oh it wasn't me (laughs) you know i picked the right players this coach or this coach didn't develop them the way they should have well i mean the the message that the royals were ready to contend could not have fallen flatter than it has right now for for kansas city they they Except with, with the exception of that early stretch, which I pointed out at the time, yelled it from the rooftops and nobody listened to me. They are playing trashy <laughs> teams and they're not good. The The strength of schedule, which I, I understand nobody cares about strength of schedule in baseball. Maybe they will now. Maybe somebody will go back and say, oh, man, maybe this Blake guy knows what he's talking about. So, they hey, didn't Blake, play anybody did- that was good. Do you, we've talked a lot about Dayton Moore. We've talked a lot about the young core players and we Weston have. brought up, you know, could Cal Eldred potentially be a guy that loses his job or somebody else on the coaching staff? Do you put any of this blame on Mike Matheny or is he still new enough that he gets a pass right now? That, that That's such an interesting question, a philosophical question, because you will hear people in baseball, baseball people will say, you know what, the manager really doesn't do anything. He writes the lineup card, and the guys go out there and play, and it doesn't matter. And then you'll hear from other guys that say, oh, the manager has all these, he has to pull the strings, he has to be part philosopher, part psychologist, and, you know, I don't know. The answer is, I don't know the answer to that question. I personally don't think that I blame Mike Matheny. I look at the players and what they're doing right now, and I just see a team that's just not very good. And I also, in the back of my mind, something that we haven't talked about, but I feel like we should mention at least, is that a couple of, theoretically, the Royals' best players 
have had some very significant injury problems this year. Danny Duffy, when he started, was unbelievable. No reason to believe that he would have kept that level for the entire season. However, he had big-time momentum. He had huge confidence at that point. And there is no reason for me to believe that he was just going to fall off the table. Now, maybe he would have. We see pitchers do this all the time where they're absolutely awful to start the season. They figure it out. They get better. And by the end of the season, they're pitching really well. Or it can go the other way. Guy starts really good. Seen this from Clayton Kershaw in the past. He's absolutely unbelievable and hittable in April, May, June. And then all of a sudden, when the summer comes around, we turn the calendar to September, and the games really start to matter, and we get into October, and you know, he's throwing a lot of innings, and all of a sudden Kershaw is just not, he's just a guy and he's not Clayton Kershaw anymore. Not saying that wouldn't have happened to Danny Duffy, but you look up and down the lineup, I just don't see a whole lot of guys who are any good. The one thing, and I don't know if this is a Mike Matheny decision or maybe. Maybe it was a front office decision as well. The Jacob Junis decision to me was absent. That whole scenario where he was moved out of the starting rotation when at, when at the time he was maybe outside of Danny Duffy, one of the Royals' most consistent performers in that spot. And to bring up a guy that you really don't know, and I know that Dayton Morrison, all oh, his stuff plays in the big leagues and he's throwing so well in Omaha, we just had to get him up. When you've got a guy who you know is pitching well, I said it at the time, so I'm not you know, trying to go back and look with hindsight 2020 because Lynch got lit up like a Christmas tree. But why in the world would you mess with your starting rotation? If you want to move roles around in the bullpen, if you want to take a guy out of the bullpen for someone else who is injured, for someone else who needs to be on a pitch count, or maybe they need to go you know, on a 10-day rotation instead of five, that's fine. When you've got a guy who's actually pitching well, why in the bleep are you going to take him out of the lineup for some guy? who has not even had a cup of coffee at the big league level. That that decision really, really bothers me, and it still does to this day. So all-star break for Kansas City. We've got the all-star game. As you are listening to this, it's going to be tonight at 6.30 on Tuesday. Two more days off for Kansas City, of course. As Tommy mentioned, they did not get the series complete with the Indians. They're going to make that up on September 20th. Royals will start mostly at home to wrap up July. Three games against the Orioles starting on the 16th. Day off before they travel to Milwaukee to play a two-game set. Back against the Tigers. Back against the White Sox for seven games there at home in Kansas City. And then off to Toronto to play the Toronto Blue Jays to wrap up the month of July. We'll wrap up like this, guys. Your expectations for the Royals for the last half of the season. I know we're a little bit further than half in terms of the calendar, but your thoughts on where the Royals are going to be. Are they going to be above? I'm going to put the over-under at 400. 400 on the win percentage. They're 406 right now. Above or below 400 in the winning percentage at the end of the year for Kansas City, Tommy? Well, I'm not very good at math, so I don't know if this falls above (laughs) or below uh, the 400 mark or not, but I think they're going to lose 100 games. Uh, so I don't know where that puts you as far as a winning percentage is concerned, uh, but I, I think they lose 100 games this year, which is just a massive, massive disaster and a massive uh, disappointment uh, and really raises a lot of question marks about what the Royals are going to do moving forward, what the roster is going to look like, if you're going to see a big overhaul, if you're going to see the Royals start to you know get rid of guys. One of the things that we didn't, haven't talked about, guys, 
is Kansas City, especially this year, they've done a lot as far as reclamation projects are concerned with former players of theirs. You know, Alcides Escobar came back for a while. He's no longer with the team. Greg Holland came back. He's been pretty inconsistent and in some cases really ineffective. Uh, You know, Wade Davis Davis. is back with the squad, although he's on the injured list right now. So they've been trying to to grab these guys from the the glory years of Kansas City. It clearly hasn't worked. Uh, So what do they do? What do they do with this roster? Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of the younger guys come up. And I think that Royals fans have to have, you know, their expectations low, at least for the rest of this season that, you know, yeah, Bobby Witt may be mashing home runs in double A right now. That doesn't necessarily mean he's going to come up and do it uh, for the rest of this season. It's more of about it, you know, an opportunity to get him used to playing at the big league level. So I think you're going to see, you know, maybe a couple of small things happen at the trade deadline. The Royals will, I bet, try to move a couple guys if they can, but it's not going to be anything uh, of note or anything worthy to to discuss uh, when that happens. Uh, And then you've got question marks about the rotation. I think you've also got question marks about Adalberto Mondesi and what are you going to do with him? Absolutely. You know, he's so effective when he's healthy, but he hasn't been healthy. And so what are you going to do with that situation moving forward? Uh, there There were some question marks at the beginning of this season, but there are far more question marks now at the midway point than there were even just a couple of months ago. It's really disappointing, but I, I to answer your question, long story short, I think they're going to lose 100 games. Weston, before you answer, uh, checking the math on Tommy there, that would be a 375 winning percentage. Yeah. It would be the third time in four years that Kansas City has lost at least 100 games and been under the 375 winning percentage. The only exception being, of course, last year's coronavirus shortened season where the Royals went 26 and 34 and won 43 percent of their games Weston end of the year will the Royals lose 100 games will they stay at 400 at the end of the season no I think there's no chance they lose 100 games I think they're above 400 I think there's too much talent on this roster certainly what I said in the beginning of the season with the talent I've when I say there's talent now, I'm adjusting that right. I certainly have started to understand some of the guys that I had projected to have better seasons just aren't those types of players. But I still think overall there's too much talent on the roster. And really getting guys healthy, I think, is kind of more where my mindset when I say I think they finish above 400. I think Mondi does come back. I think Duffy's getting back in the swing swing of things. Uh, ben and Tinney comes back. You're going to get some production out of some younger guys that get called up, especially after they probably do make some small moves. I mean, I think Michael A. Taylor probably has, you know, pro- probably some defensive value for a team. You're certainly not going to get much back for him, but if you're the Royals, why would you not trade him for anything? Anything that you can get, you know, makes sense. Um, wouldn't be surprised if maybe a bullpen arm or two gets moved kind of in that same, you know, nobody that's, you know, there's going to be some team that is looking for a lefty that, you know, is a great fly ball pitcher. You know, those kind of things is where you can kind of move a piece here or there. Um, so I don't think there's going to be much overhaul. I do still think there's talent on this roster. So not a whole lot. I mean, I, I, I agree with a lot of what Tommy said, other than I just in my brain, I'm saying, okay, guys are getting healthy. They're going to play better baseball to some degree, and that's going to be enough to get them over the hump to be, you know, somewhere in that 400 to 450 range by the time the season's over. So, um, yeah, that's that's how I see this season ending up. 
I think 450 is a pipe dream. I think Kansas City is going to win 65 games. That's where I've got them. 65 games, that would put them just above 400. So I'm down there with Tommy. I think if they win four, 450, I think is would be an absolute miracle at that point. That would be close to you know, over 70. That would be over 70 wins by a long stretch. So I, I do not have the Royals winning 70 games this year. We will see how the Royals do as they take a much-needed break from the season here at the All-Star break. Moving on, but staying in baseball, it's been a while since we've talked about the Wichita wind surge. A lot to unpack here for Wichita as the wind surge have fallen back just a little bit in the standings. They had a pretty commanding lead early on in the AA Central but Wichita had fallen into second place for a moment. Now Wichita currently in first place in the AA Central, 33-27. and 27. The Wichita wind surge getting back there thanks to a couple of big wins against the Kansas City Royals affiliate Northwest Arkansas here this week. And the the Royals affiliate right there with the AA Central. Boy, that AA Central is very, very packed First place, the wind surge are 33 and 27. You've got Arkansas and Tulsa tied at 32 and 27, and the Northwest Arkansas is 31 and 27. So this is maybe the most competitive division in all of baseball, major or minor leagues. All these teams are pretty good, except for Amarillo and Corpus Christi, apparently. But Tommy, let's start with you. The Wichita wind surge had a little bit of a fall back. They have lost six of their last ten, so it had not been going well. But very nice to see them pick up a couple of these wins here as they start a new series uh, that'll be coming up today actually as they start the new series as people are watching this podcast here as they get set to continue their run through the AA Central. How much have you been able to pay attention to the wind surge here as you've been on baby duty? I know you got out there. I saw it on your <laughs> yeah. social media just before yeah. you were able to get one last trip to Riverfront Stadium. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Wichita wind surge? Yeah, well, I mean, before I talk about the wind surge, I got to tell you about this experience. It was uh, it was the night before our baby was born, and we didn't have tickets to the game initially, but we didn't have much to do. We were about a week away from our due date, and uh, my you wife you was like, time. "We thought we had some time." And my wife was like, "You know, <laughs> hey, there's there's going to be a fireworks show after the game, and my wife loves fireworks, and she's like, we should go to awesome. the game." I'm like, "That sounds great." So we went to the game. Uh, they played, I believe, Amarillo. Uh, and there was a, uh, they were down throughout the game. It didn't look good, but they battled back, tied the game. It went into the 10th inning and I believe it was Jose Miranda hit a three run moonshot walk off home run to win the game for the wind surge. Uh, and everybody went home happy. There was a great fireworks (laughs) show and, I'm not kidding. Six hours later, her water broke and we were on our way to the hospital. Uh, So that was like the last thing that we did uh, before our baby was born. So that was definitely exciting. But uh, I actually went to the first game of the Northwest Arkansas series uh, last Tuesday. Uh, That was another game that, you know, they battled back and forth uh, with the Naturals, ultimately lost that game in 10 innings. And then from there, they really struggled. They lost eight to five on that Wednesday game and then got blown out in back to back games, 10 
10-1 and 10-2 against the Naturals. And Northwest Arkansas looked really good. And we we spent a lot of time, obviously, just talking. We just talked about the Royals. Uh, I think you've got to have some optimism about how good your double-A squad is. Uh, Obviously, Bobby Witt Jr. was in the lineup. Nick Prado was in the lineup. Uh, You know, there were MJ Melendez was a guy that had quite a bit of success in that game I went to. Uh, He plays for the Naturals. So they've got some talent in the farm system uh, for sure. But, you know, I look at the standings for the win surge right now and looking at what you had just talked about. Yeah, Wichita is in first place. But if you look at the run differential, the win surge have the worst run differential among those four teams that they're battling for first place with. The, the Naturals, they've got a win differential of plus 66. Tulsa is plus 33. Arkansas is plus 21. Wichita is only plus 17 in the run differential. The games that they've won, they've won it close games, walk-off games. Late inning, they squeak by by a run. They, they've got a flair for the dramatic. That's what I've seen yeah, almost every do. time that I go and watch them play. It's fun to watch, uh, but I, I'm sure that it, it gives, you know, Ramon Borrega uh, almost a heart attack every time that they go out because of how, <laughs> yeah. how close these games are. But there's a lot of talent. You know, you look at guys like I mentioned Jose Miranda, who's now with AAA. Um, you know, th- there have been a couple of other guys, uh, I believe um, I'm blanking on his name. Celestino uh, made it yeah. all the way to the Minnesota Twins, got promoted all the way there. Uh, They've got some guys that have moved up in the farm system for the Twins. Uh, And so you've always got that issue, right, where guys are getting called up because of their success. Who fills their role? Who, as Rex Hudler would say, who's going to drive the bus you know, for for the wind surge when those guys that have been so um, productive end up moving on? And that's been the big question mark for the wind surge. But they are winning games. They are in first place. They've got a big series against Tulsa that kicks off on Tuesday and runs through the weekend. It's been a fun homestand. Uh, I'm really happy with the support that the fans have given. Uh, The Tuesday night game I went to last week, it was pretty busy for a Tuesday night. And so hopefully that continues. Uh, It's fun to watch exciting baseball with a lot of other people. And uh, I hope it continues. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like I'm always the positive one on the show, whether it's about the Royals or whatever. So here's kind of the negative thing about the wind surge. And it's not so much about this team as maybe it is just about minor league baseball as a whole. It's kind of hard, you know, to get attached as a city. And it's not so much attached because you want the wind surge to win. But as a fan, when you're typically saying, okay, we're looking at the standings, how are they doing? Are they winning? And that's what you base your fanship off of. Well, with minor league baseball, and particularly to me, this is why, again, it's so disappointing that they're associated with the Minnesota Twins, is the standings are going to be hard to really follow, right? Because like Tommy said, I mean, Jose Miranda was just dominating double-A baseball. And rightfully so, he got moved up. But you look at the wind surge winning, well, they had to adjust after he gets called up. Same with Solacino. You know, they got, they're kind of leaning on Ernie, Ernie De La Trinidad right now, who's hitting 319. You know, it's still, that's, uh, yeah. I mean, that's number two in the Texas League. Um, so, you know, they, they've still got, they've still got guys, but that's why, it, the, the, to me, the fun thing about minor league baseball is getting to see really the players develop within the the team that you like so when you have like not a lot of people in wichita not a lot of people around the area are, are twins fans so it makes me just care less that jose miranda he's gone now like i care about the wind surge but now i don't care about jose miranda what he's doing i don't care about solenstino he's he's gone and so to me it, it makes it right it's disappointing that they're losing but you but that's just the realistic of 
of the situation with minor league baseball is they're they're gone and but here's it's the hard thing, to, Weston, to get the next. Th- guy. There are a lot of markets in minor league baseball where the home team for the the franchise, the one who's who's getting the players fed to them, the big league team. You know, for example, the baby cakes. You know, New Orleans. I don't know how how big of a Marlins town where it was New Orleans. I there are some. Oh, sure. You know, you've got the the Red Sox have got an affiliate that's right there, close to the Red Sox. But it doesn't. But, but I, that, I feel like just because that's the way it is doesn't mean that I care any more or less about Jose Miranda now that he's gone. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying Wichita did the wrong yeah, thing. Yeah, but I'm saying it could still be successful. In Wichita, despite the fact oh, sure, that they, it, sure. I agree, it, I, it it would be better. I would like them better if they were a Royals affiliate. But I think that it can still be very successful, and that fans can latch on, like Tommy has, like a lot of my friends have, that they really want this to be a Wichita thing, even if the big league club isn't the one that they're rooting for. That that the wind surge are serving. And I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. It was really kind of bizarre. The game against the. It was the very first game against the Naturals. The first time that Northwest Arkansas came to town. It was the first time that guys like Bobby Witt and Nick Prado were in Wichita, and they there were a lot of there were a lot of fans that were wearing Royals gear, and sure. they were getting they were cheering. I mean, they were cheering for the wind surge, I think, but they were also cheering for the Naturals. It was kind of bizarre, and all I could think about the entire time wasn't that I because I. I I, I I wanted to cheer for my team, which is the Wind Surge, my local hometown team. Uh, nothing against the Naturals. I would love to see them win every other game except when they play the Wind Surge. Uh, but it was interesting because I just kept watching the Naturals and thinking, man, 15 years ago, these guys would have been Wichita Wranglers. Uh, mm-hmm. And now they're in Northwest Arkansas, and it's just a different situation entirely. And, you know, I just went back to how bad it was that Wichita bungled the opportunity to keep the Wranglers in town. And that's the that's the result of this. We've got stars like Bobby Witt Jr., who's now coming and playing against the Wichita team because the city of Wichita in 2007 couldn't keep the Wranglers around. And maybe I didn't make the direction of where I was trying to go with, with that little as I used before soliloquy, um, I think what I was trying to say is I'm going to care less once they start to lose than I otherwise would if they were affiliated with the Royals, right? So like you said, I think it's... I, 100% 100% still think great success. I'm glad minor league baseball in Wichita. I still am excited about the Wichita wind surge, but when they start to lose, it's harder for me to be as excited about it as if it wouldn't, to me, it wouldn't have mattered, you know, back in the Wranglers days, win, lose, I don't care. I'm excited about multiple things. Of course, I'm going to the ballpark wanting them to win, but when they're not, I'm still watching the development of players I'm associated with. Now, when the wind surge start to lose, and hopefully this little you know losing streak or six out of ten that they were on, just a blurb, right? Maybe they go back to their winning ways and no big deal. But like I was saying, they've moved their talented players up as they should, and that's just kind of the thing you get left with as a minor league baseball fan, especially when your major league team that you root for, the market you're in doesn't have any connection with that team. So I guess I wasn't trying to say, hey, look, you know, I don't think it's going to be successful or certainly, I mean, by all means, Wichita, you can get a minor league team, come here, do it. Like that's great success. 
again, I just kind of this is my oh, I'm back to the disappointed that they're not associated with the Royals and uh, especially that they're associated with the Twins or at least if it was the Marlins, I I kind of had almost gotten behind the Marlins last year even when we didn't get to see the wind surge play. It was kind of funny. I was watching Chaz uh, Chaz Chiz, uh, Chaz. Chisholm Jr., who's now Jazz, ja- Chisholm. Jazz Chisholm Jr., who's now a star. Well, I don't know about star, but playing very yeah. well for the Marlins. I'd almost like started following the Marlins even when the Windsor. I don't want to talk about Jazz Chisholm, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, I mean, that's. It, it, but when you put me with a rival, it just makes it tough. So, anyways, that's that's kind of just where I'm at. You know, it's it, it stinks once they start losing or if they're losing because they've called guys up, that it's because they've called good players up to a team that I don't want to see win. So that that's that's really all I was trying to get at. And, and it is hard because Miranda was a star here in Wichita. Josh Winder was a star here in Wichita. He's no yeah. longer with the team. He's been called up to St. Paul. But they do have other players who are pitching well and hitting the ball sure. well. Austin Schofer has really come along here and had a, a really good start to the season. Uh, July has not been very good for Schofer. He kind of had back back-to-back really bad starts. There in the last three games of July, he was pretty much unhittable. I gave up, I think, no runs. I'm looking here. Yeah, no runs that were earned over his last 17 innings of June. In July, he's been very, very mortal, has been blown up a little bit, especially in that last game on July 8th this week, or, or last week, I should say. But that that's just part of of the medicine that you have to take with minor league baseball. It's not quite as big. The players aren't as good. There's not that, that stability. It, it, you you have to enjoy it for what it is, and and what it is is okay. It doesn't have to be the same as major league baseball or high school baseball if you're into that, or college baseball if you're into. Wichita State or Newman or Friends. I think that there's enough for everybody to get their their piece of what Wichita fandom has to offer. So for the uh, Wichita wind surge coming up for them, obviously the schedule continues to be uh, in that same vein of six games on and then one day off. That's a this-season-only scenario for the Wichita wind surge. They are going to be back to much more standard road trips and and, and trying to make all of that work starting next year. But it is a series against Tulsa coming up, six-game series against Tulsa as they will play in Wichita. 7.05 first pitch on Tuesday, then a 12.05 first pitch summer camp day on Wednesday. So a very, very unique start time on Wednesday, summer camp day. So if you've got the day off, hey, you might as well go spend it over at Riverfront. Back to normal times Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then 105 for the first pitch on Sunday, and then off for a long road trip at Arkansas, at Northwest Arkansas to wrap up July. And by the way, guys, geez, they took back-to-back road trips there. Don't tell me that the NBC World Series cannot be contested at Riverfront Stadium. It can happen. Minor League Baseball, step in, figure it out, make it happen. They've they've got, got the space at the at the 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 facility already carved out for the NBC. Get in the Hall of Fame. I like that. I just don't want the NBC to get forgotten in all this. Okay, they should be at the stadium. Moving on to our final topic of the day, not one that we planned on. Jayhawk fans, we were excited. We're going to be talking about KU basketball. Everybody's coming back. NCAA name, image, and likeness has turned around college basketball. Are we going to see a resurgence of two, three, four-year players at the collegiate level? And then 
Kansas football comes in to rip our hearts out once again with one of the most brutal stories that I've ever heard. We can't not talk about it because we're all Jayhawks here. We're open and honest about that. If we didn't talk about it, we would be accused of being homers and correctly so. The gist and this story is so complex, so complicated. I'm just going to give you the very, very gist of the story. And this has, from what I have read, absolutely nothing to do with the current administration in charge of Kansas football, the current coaching staff, or the, I mean, I think that he did retain some coaches from Les Miles, but nothing to do with the current athletic administration at KU. But there was a KU football player that had a let's say, a disagreement with a teammate. There were some incidents that happened that were outside of the law, and the Coach Miles tried to bring in the two aggrieved sides, see if they could make nice. They could not, would not apologize together. He offered to let them go out to the football field, you know, the old-time thing that you do when guys get it get uh, on the wrong side of each other. You have some full-contact drills, and you figure things out, and then you just let it be. That that didn't work out. So what happened? Well, KU figured out a way to pay this guy to go back home, and he would not talk about what happened at KU. They bought his silence. Of course, that didn't work out. Everything has come to light. A huge series of articles that makes Kansas football look like the complete nuclear waste dump that it has played like on the field for the last few years. Tommy, I I don't feel anything about this. I'm so deadened to Kansas football being in the absolute S show that it has been for the last five years that I, probably more than that, to be honest, that I, I'm just numb and I feel nothing. I have nothing left to give. My heart is broken already. You can't stomp on it anymore. What do you have to say for this Kansas football program that has once again found itself in the absolute pit of misery and the finds itself again to be the laughing stock of not just the Big 12 but maybe the entire Power 5 in terms of football. You know, Jesse Newell from the Kansas City Star wrote this article and uh and I like Jesse Newell. I have always uh, followed him on social media. I like him too. I, you know, I think he's got, you know, great insight to what goes on. Um I don't I don't believe this was Jesse's best work. Uh, I think it was okay, but there were there were a lot of question marks that I had from reading this and a lot of things that I felt like were unresolved uh, from reading it that I had more questions after reading it. And that's not necessarily Jesse's job. And I don't want to turn this into a debate on journalism at all. Uh, but I did have questions about, okay, um, I guess I want to know, was any of this corroborated with anybody outside of this kid's family and himself? Uh, has anybody else corroborated this? And I haven't seen that. I'm not, I don't want to discount what happened to this, to this kid at all um, because it does sound traumatic allegedly it does sound like you know that they're at they absolutely tried to to buy him off and basically tried to say hey look you know yeah there have been issues uh we don't want you to talk about it so we would rather you just go away and never come back and we'll pay you to do it 
but I think the thing that is most telling as far as the indictment to the university is the way that Les Miles allegedly handled the situation. <laughs> yes. Re- regardless. I mean, and like Jeff you go Long. And read, and that's Jeff true. Long. And Jeff Long. So if you go and you read the article, um, you know, there are, there are allegations about, you know, these teammates showing up to this player's house or his apartment. It looked like maybe one of them had a firearm tucked in his uh, waistband, which that was never really proven to be true in the article. You can debate all of that. We weren't there. We don't know exactly what happened. But the, the only conclusion that I can draw is that clearly this player went to his coach to say that there was a conflict with teammates that needed to be resolved. And what did the coach do? He said, why don't you go out and try to hit each other with pads on and maybe that'll resolve it. <laughs> like that was the solution. And this kid found no support from the coach, from the coach, from the athletic director. And he had to go to a compliance guy who basically drafted an agreement for them to continue to pay him. So he would go away and not talk about it publicly. So it, it's just, it's, Regardless on, you know, whether or not this story is 100% true, factual and accurate, I'm not I'm not here to say Jesse Newell probably doesn't know 100% either. Uh, That's not my point. My point is that it's another example of how the Jeff Long and Les Miles regime at Kansas was an unmitigated disaster. And that is just so surprising when you look at the other guys that have tried to coach this program that the less miles era is the most embarrassing <laughs> out of all of them. Um, so regardless of the nitty gritty of the actual details of the story and the article, I don't care about that. It's just another opportunity to pile on with how bad the, the former regime was. And I sincerely hope that, and I, I, I've got, I've got reason I think to be at least slightly optimistic that a guy like Travis Goff, who has a sterling reputation and is now the athletic director at KU, and Lance Leipold, who has a sterling reputation as a football coach, can at least start to uh, improve the respectability of the program because it couldn't get any worse right now with the way that Jeff Long and Les Miles left the program. I'm going to go one step further because it's my last show, so I'll go ahead and say it. I think this. I think this article was reckless. I think it's that bad. I think it's an absolute joke because if you take out those exact same things you talked about, Tommy, that aren't corroborated, I think it's a complete, complete non-story here. And I know you guys are going to disagree with me on this, but if you so the the, the parts that jump out to make this story pop or make it feel like it's something more than it is, there's allegations of that these teammates were selling drugs, completely uncooperated. Maybe they weren't, maybe they were, maybe they weren't, but we have zero evidence other than the player who's saying there was a problem that these teammates were selling drugs. Um, he claims this, this, this athlete claims that he believes one of those teammates loosened his lug nuts, how he would know that or any type of cooperation is completely not involved in this story. There's no nothing to suggest that we have any factual evidence to support that. And then, um, the only other, the other part that to me, I guess, kind of jumps out, right. Is that they say they paid him hush money to not talk about this story. Well, you can tell from, I mean, you can just tell from the tone of this article that these, this family was unhappy. So, and not to say that they don't believe some of this happened, that they, and I'm not even saying that some of this didn't happen, but if they initiated a lawsuit 
absolutely KU is going to settle. That, that's what happens in 99.9% .9 of all litigation. So to, to put this story as they hushed him with money because he signed a settlement is completely reckless in my opinion. That it's, it, it, it makes my blood boil. Which in here, in here, and I guess why I'm even more worked up about this is if some of this is true, the things that I just went over, because I want to talk about the Nick stuff, the stuff that was left in the story that seems to be true. If that stuff is true, well, now you've taken this article and, and to me, just rolled it in mud and we're not going to get to that stuff because we rushed to the reporting and pushed it out there. I'm sure you're going to have plenty of people that have the same reaction as me who have read this story and are now like, you're kidding me? Like, what are they even talking about? They put this in there and, and it's hard for me to now go back later and listen to the straighten out facts. And I know that's wrong, but I think a lot of people go that way. You're going to make your opinion early on. And if that stuff does happen, it's worth taking the time to try to corroborate some of these facts. And if you can't to not run it now, if you go to the stuff that, that seems a little bit more plausible, or it seems like you're hearing maybe more cooperation from the players getting into a fight, I can tell you there are fights at practice at least twice a week. It happened at Southwestern. I'm telling you, it happens at Kansas on the practice field. Now, not as often would that go back into the dorm room, but I'm telling you, it does and has. And I guarantee you, every single season at Kansas, it has happened. Not necessarily guys getting into a fist fight, but the confrontation uh, of guys happens every single season. I, without a doubt, can tell you that happens at Kansas. So, if that's all this story is, now the busting in while his parents are there and you know, having a firearm in his... Now, okay, so that right there is the little bit of the story to me that makes it more than just your normal football season. But I, I was, to me, just... Because I'm with you, Tommy. I've read a lot of J Jesse Newell. I follow him on Twitter. I think he's very outstanding. I've never seen anything from him that would suggest, you know, that I wouldn't trust his work. I was very disappointed. Very, very disappointed in this article. I just don't think it was time for him to run it. And I think it was reckless. I really do. I, so I, I, I want to I come actually, back. I, okay, go ahead, Tommy. I, I just want to say really quick, the only, the, the major question that I had after reading this didn't even really have anything to do with me questioning the authenticity of, you know, the recollections that this family had throughout the process. My question was, what's the desired outcome from this? Les Miles is already gone. Jeff Long is already gone. The, the, the program is in new hands now. They're trying to hit a hard reset and try to clean up. The, we all know we're not debating uh, that, at least I don't think so, about how terrible the Les Miles era at KU was. Uh, so the, the new leadership, they're trying to do everything they can to turn things around. They haven't even played a game yet under this new leadership. So what's the desired outcome that I guess... Jesse Newell and the Kansas City Star has for this piece. It kind of feels like piling on a little bit, maybe a little unnecessary. But again, I don't want to take away from what this kid experienced. Clearly, in his mind and in his family's mind, he experienced something that was highly negative during his time at Kansas and wanted his story to be told. I don't blame him. I don't fault him. There are some holes in the story, but I just wonder... 
can we can we start to put this terrible nightmare of an era behind us and start to move on? Or are we going to keep hearing about terrible things that happened while Les Miles was the coach? The player's name was Caperton Humphrey. And I, to be honest, guys, I did not read the Kansas City Star article. I read the Associated Press article version of the story. Humphrey played at Kansas back in 2017, 2018. He initially came to the team with a walk-on opportunity. He later earned a scholarship. As you mentioned, the Associated Press reported that he noticed the tire wobbling in terms of the loosened lug nuts. He noticed the tire wobbling in his rear view mirror and that no arrest was made. There was no evidence to show who loosened the nuts. Sometimes that stuff can come loose on its own. The, the thing that I, that I look at here is you have a guy who was paid $50,000 in benefits to stay quiet about harassment. And the, the Associated Press article actually says that the Kansas City Star contacted each of the four former teammates that Humphrey accused about the, uh, the, the harassment and that they didn't respond to inquiries for the story and that the KU compliance director, uh, David Reed, athletic director Jeff Long, they did not comment on the story. Two people didn't respond. Two of those teammates declined to comment. Newspaper did not name any other players. Yeah, who the, are the, they? Who are those four? I'd love to know. know who those four guys are. We Why aren't they no named? I, no, no idea who they are. Apparently, the Kansas City Star could not get them on the record. Here's the thing that I look at. You've got $50,000 in benefits that sure as hell seems impermissible under the former NCAA rules in terms of, you know, maybe since he's not on the team anymore, maybe that doesn't apply. To me, this is about the leadership of Jeff Long and Les Miles, and it is why it is no wonder that Kansas football can't win a damn football game when they can't even build consensus in the locker room. Weston, I've heard from so many football players and coaches that will say that sometimes those fights can actually bring teams together. They can rally things around, and sometimes guys can, you know, go and literally take it out back, and they come back on their best friends the next day, and it's fine. I'm not sure it works all, you know, it always works like that. Maybe it rarely works like that, and maybe it never works like that. All I know is, is that KU football stinks, and that this leader, this is not the kind of leadership that I feel like a winning football program has. Maybe this happens at Clemson. Maybe this happens at Alabama or Ohio State. Maybe it does. I'm inclined to think that it does not. So when you have leadership at the top from Les Miles and from Jeff Long that permits this kind of thing to happen, you are putting yourself in a position where Kansas football does not have as good of facilities as anybody else in the Big 12. The facilities, I think, are you can win there, but they do not have these unbelievable facilities to recruit kids to. They don't have the best recruiting. We don't have the best fan base. Sorry, Jayhawk fans. You sh the students show up 15 minutes late. They leave at halftime. Student fans at KU for football suck. They do. We don't have the best fan. We don't have the best fan experience. Sure as hell, don't have the best fan stadium for people to go to to watch these games play. If you go want to go and watch them, get their butts blown out by 50. So what are we doing thinking that oh we got to build a stadium, we got to hire a coach? Those are all correct things that we need to do. 
we can't run a program. This is this is the very baseline thing. You have got to get everybody, whether you've got a good program, a bad program, you're a top five New Year's Six Bowl team, or where Kansas is, you have got to at least, the bare minimum, get everybody pulling in the same direction. Maybe it's not going to be the right direction. Turner Gill, Coach Beatty, Coach Weiss, weren't going in the right direction. But we didn't hear about this kind of crap on that team. The, the Les Miles era with Jeff Long was so bereft of leadership. It's no wonder that Kansas football is in the state that it's in. That's the takeaway that I have. You want to believe or not believe, whatever. I don't care. The fact is that Les Miles could not lead the program, was not fit to lead the program, and Jeff Long enabled his lack of leadership. That's my takeaway. You know, the one thing I do want to clear up before we move on, and, and maybe I missed something in the article, but I absolutely read that as this player sued the University of Kansas. It, it, the lawsuit might have not got filed. I'm sure it was a demand letter. That was a settlement. And that's why it makes me so mad, though, the phrasing of paying him to keep quiet. There's no doubt that KU does not pay him money if there's not a threat of lawsuit, a demand letter sent from an attorney. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's information out there that says that's not the case. But that's how I read the article and connected the dots in my mind. It was... It was a confidential settlement settlement yes, agreement that included a non-disparagement clause. Which is, which is clause. absolutely That's what standard. It was. There is not you're not signing a settlement agreement without a non-disparagement clause. Know that. So which makes so, but they're looking to pursue legal action now. That yeah, and that's what's that's what's interesting is that there was there's a part in the document that says that the family understands and agrees they will not make or publish directly or indirectly any materially negative comments verbally or in writing on social media or in any other forum about KU and KU athletics, but they're on the record with the Kansas city star. So wouldn't that make that settlement null and void? I'm not exactly sure where that, how that works and what that, how they stand. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to get into that necessarily, but it's just, that's, yeah, that's sure. the interesting part to me. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think well, there's a lot so to K, KU football. Go I was ahead. just going to say, yeah, I, th I think there's yeah, a lot to I mean, K KU football is a mess. That there, there's no other way to, to look at that, obviously. KU football stinks, and uh, Weston, I guess uh, that's how you have to leave KU football on the show is that <laughs> they still suck and they're still at the bottom of hey, the I world. Hey, I still think they're uh, time what, for one. I think they're winning four games next year. Called it. Wow. Four, four games? games? Next year. Okay. Wow. Four. I'm not doing that. Wow. No, I, I don't know about that, Weston. That was not a correct take horn, by the way. <laughs> Time for Weston's final Wichita whip around. It is time to hit the music. Boy, it's been a while for you, Tommy. Just to remind you as to how this works, you pick a Wichita story. One, Weston, since it's his last show, I'm sure is going to cheat once again and bring two, three, or four, or five. But a story from Wichita, and make it be a feel-good story if you can, that we didn't have time to get to today. Tommy, I'm going to give you the first crack at it so that Weston can have the last crack since it's his last show. But what do you think is your whip-around story today, Tommy? Well, congratulations to the Kansas United 2029 
fourth grade boys basketball team. They won the 10 and under AAU title in Clarksonville, Tennessee this past weekend. They beat teams from states like South Carolina, Tennessee, Michigan, Louisiana, Texas, and New York in dominant fashion. They had an average margin of victory of 25 points, and they won uh, one of youth basketball's most prized tournaments. They won in the championship game over the New York Lions on Sunday. Uh, this is pretty cool. The team is coached by D. Garland, who played at Southeast High School. He also recently played for the Wichita Wizards, the semi-pro basketball team in Wichita. Uh, but this is pretty neat. You know, it's a national title for this boys basketball team, 10 and under, uh, that comes straight from Wichita. So can Congratulations to them. That is pretty interesting. You know, there was a time when City League basketball had a lot of names coming out, a lot of local talent down here. City League was really dominant. Maybe this will lead to a resurgence of high school yep. talent in the city. That, that's what I'm hoping for. Nothing Maybe against so. the ABCTL, but I'm a City League guy first. I want Carroll, Wichita North, Southeast, East, those big schools. I, North is not on the same level as Southeast and East. Sorry, Redskins fans, but I want those <laughs> programs to mean something. Wichita Heights, I want them to matter statewide, nationally. This is my story. Pretty sure I'm not stepping on your toes here as we are talking Newman Jets baseball outfielder Mitchell Austin signing a professional contract. He graduated from Newman in May, 270 hitter for the Jets in his senior season, three home runs. 30 RBIs, the Australian from Sydney, started the summer playing for the Carolina Wolves of the Southern Shores Collegiate League, slashing 400, 429, and 500. Sometimes you get these guys, you put the lumber in their hand, and they just figure it out. Austin seems to be one of those guys. He has now signed with the High Point Bats in the Southern Shores Professional League, two for four in his professional debut with an RBI. He is the first Jet to go pro since Heartland Conference Player of the Year Tyler Bugner was drafted by the Rockies in 2016. He is also the first pro under new head coach, second-year head coach Drew Mouse, who is returning for his third season this next spring in Wichita. Weston, it is your last whip around. Uh, do you want to do the Wichita whip around first, or did you bring a Weston whip around? Let's go ahead and start today? with the Weston whip around. It's a perfect piggyback off you talking about Newman Jet baseball. Tyler wow. Bugner, who got drafted by the Colorado Rockies, uh, grew up. He went to Andel High School, went to St. Mark's Elementary. He was actually in my he was actually in my sister's class. They might have dated. I don't know. No, I think she dated another Tyler in that class. But oh. Tyler Bugner, St. <laughs> Mark's, grew up with my sister, went to Andel. Gotta love it. Uh, so congrats to the other Newman guy that doesn't have any involvement with me that uh, signed a major league deal. Oh, okay. Now to the good. To you want to do the, the Wichita whip around? So you forget? So. You serious on your last show? You did the Western <laughs> whip around and you forgot to do it's the actual segment. Only right. Are you are this? Did that really just it's happen? It's only right. So Tommy took my Wichita whip around, but as you alluded, I always come with two or three, so <laughs> I'm ready to go. Co-AAC Player of the Year Tyson Etienne has withdrawn from the NBA draft, and the Shockers, I think, are going to be loaded next year. I absolutely love this basketball team. 
uh, with Tyson Etienne back. And and honestly, I felt like we were hearing some buzz about Ty- Tyson Etienne. I mean, he worked out for eight different teams, the Cavs, Knicks, Celtics, uh, Warriors, Nets, Raptors, Suns, and Grizzlies. And it seemed kind of like maybe he was going to be a, maybe a fringe second round or at least get that immediate uh, G League signing right out. So, But I, I really think, and, and this is the segue, I think you guys should certainly spend some time talking about it on a future show, but I really think this NIL, this name, image, likeness deal with college basketball made a huge difference for him to come back. He knows he's going to be the big dog on campus at Wichita State. He's absolutely going to make oh, yeah. good good chunk of money from you know Mel Hamilton Ford or Don Don Hatton or whoever else in Wichita wants to. No, no. Him. You know what it's going to be? It's going to be Carlos O'Kelly oh, and the Queso commercials are going to be Man, back. T- that there's if a Tyson Etienne Carlos O'Kelly's uh, sponsorship deal that's a dream come true. I'll be at Carlos O'Kelly's once a week when I'm back in Wichita, no doubt. If they got Tyson Etienne sponsoring, but back with Wichita State, I think it's going to be very interesting to see what he can make in sponsorships. And I think from a basketball standpoint, I think Wichita State's got to feel really, really, really good coming into this season. Not just about the AAAC. But I think this team can really make some noise in March. So exciting news for Shockers fans is Tyson Etienne returning to Wichita State. Yeah, I I think that those commercials that were, I mean, let's be honest. I know that looking back now for some Shocker fans, and I'm not suggesting that it really should be that way, but I I feel like for some Shocker fans that I have talked to, they look back on that era now and they don't quite view it the same way as they did maybe 12 to 18 months ago, just because of the negativity that you know happened with the Greg Marshall firing. It didn't end well. There was stuff going on behind the scenes that was maybe not up to the standard that everybody thought that it was and so maybe that has tainted it a little bit i don't think that it should be but those commercials were pretty cute and those guys you know we had ron baker and fred van vliet doing those and it was it was though they were pretty funny evan wessel and they those commercials were pretty good and so i i think they instead of seeing graduates doing that you're probably going to see guys who are actually on the team doing that and you know it's going to be cheesy that is a pun it is intended like oh man what a great pass this was into this carlos o'kelly's queso (laughs) it's going to happen um, that was going to be in my additions, corrections, and retractions segment. Uh, but Tommy, we'll go ahead and go to you. Do you have any additions, corrections, and retractions? Yeah, I have one quick addition, and then I'll get out of the way so Weston can, you know, start to cry those crocodile tears since it's his <laughs> final show. Uh, but uh, Salvador Perez was in the home run derby. We talked about it uh, earlier in the sh- in the program. Uh, of course, we record these shows on Monday evening, so the home run derby going on as we're recording. Salvador Perez hit 28 home runs in the first round, Ooh. but ran into an absolute buzzsaw on Pete Alonso, who hit 35 home runs in the first round. Wow. Uh, so Salvador Perez eliminated in round number one in the home run derby. But hats off to him uh, for I, I just love the fact that he's got his power back. You know, there were question marks about that him coming off of Tommy John, uh, but he has absolutely been mashing this year and really the the main bright spot for Kansas City. How do you like the the format? Because it used to be, you know, you took the top guys and then they went to a bracket style, trying to figure out the best way to do. I don't know if there is a best way to do it, but you know, in a lot of years, he he'd be moving on. Twenty eight home runs is going to get you to the second round most years. Yeah, it's a different kind of format. Um, you know, it, I, I know they're trying to increase the drama uh, a little yeah. bit. I think they're trying to manufacture some things, which whatever. It's about the ratings. It's I a get television it. show. Yeah, it's a television show. But at the end of the day, all that matters is, you know, putting as many balls over the fence as you, as you possibly can. I also saw that Trevor Story for the Rockies hit like a 540 
one <laughs> foot home runners. So, I mean, like the obviously you're a mile high, uh, and these guys are just crushing the baseball. Oh, yeah. So how do a lot of fun do? to watch? Uh, I don't know. I, have I haven't I haven't followed any of the other participants. Yeah, I, mean, other I, than, I get it. Other it's than not Sally. our guy, but I mean, I feel like that was the big guy everybody wanted to see. Right, was Shotani and you know doing that thing. Um, Weston, before we give you the floor, do you have any additions, corrections, or retractions? Uh, anything newsworthy that we didn't? Get yeah, just I mean, one, it's my last show, so I want to point out zero corrections for me. Perfect show again. Um, additions, additions. <sighs> so Frank Clark, we talked a little bit. We mentioned in passing had been arrested, uh, had a newsie in his car in his Lambo. Well, he's now been charged and is facing three years for that assault weapon. It's a it's a felony assault charge. Or sorry. Possession, felony possession of an assault weapon. Interesting thing about this that to keep an eye on. Maybe it's more interesting for me. But um, just recently, I think about a month ago, a federal judge actually overturned the assault weapon ban in California, saying it was a violation of the Second Amendment. Amendment. So the the judge determined that there shouldn't be an assault weapon ban. The state state of California has appealed it, which means that currently the assault weapon ban is in place while they're appealing it, but that could have significant ramifications uh, for Frank Clark's charge, which is, I think, a really interesting aspect, and to see what the NFL does with this, knowing that his record can be completely wiped clean. It's very interesting. It'll be see how, to see how that plays out, especially with the, the impact for the Chiefs and the money they have tied to him. Yeah, no doubt about that. That is our show for this week. Once again, you can always watch the show. Cogsports.com is the best place for the website. Get in touch with us. Facebook.com slash Keeper the Games. Cogpod on Twitter. iHeartRadio, Spotify. Share, like, subscribe. And for the final time, you will see on our YouTube video, Weston's smiling face. So, Weston, I leave the floor to you here before I wrap things up uh, to send us goodbye here on this episode 73. But a founding member of the CogPod stepping down. Uh, we have officially retained Weston as the Keeper of the Games podcast official legal analyst. <laughs> so we will be bringing him back on anytime that we need any legal things uh, cleared up for us. Uh, he will be the official CogPod legal, legal analyst and, of course, a founder emeritus of the, of the show. Um, but uh, your thoughts here on this adventure between you and Tommy that started. Actually, you know what? I'm going to, Tommy, I'm going to let you start first and talk okay. about your relationship with Weston and how you kind of built this thing up. And then uh, when he's done, Weston, you got the floor and then I'll wrap up after that. So what's really interesting is that, uh, you know, I've known Weston for a long time, but I didn't re really know you well. Um, you know, you as you like to point out, you're quite a bit younger than I am. Uh, but we did go to, we we did go to the same college and, uh, you know, it's small enough that everybody knows everybody. Uh, we were Facebook friends, things like that. Um, you know, and you you had sent me a, a message, I think, or a, a Twitter into the DMs. DM or something about doing a, a pod about doing a, a podcast and I I'll, and I'll be honest. I don't know if I ever told you this. Uh, I was actually pretty negative about it. Like in my own mind at the beginning, I'm kind of like, I don't, I don't think I want to, I don't want to be a, a, the Jack wagon that does a, a sports podcast, <laughs> but I, but I remember thinking if we can do it at a high level, you know, if we can make sure the quality is, uh, is, is solid, that people want to listen to it, the content is good, then I, I would be okay, you know, with, with doing that. And to your credit, I mean, you were kind of the brainchild of it. It was your idea, um, but you were willing to say, yeah, like let's make an investment 
investment in this. Let's get the equipment that we need. You know, let's try to overcome those challenges of you being in Kansas City and me being in Wichita. Um, let's 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 do this. Let's you know spend a little bit of money to make it happen. And then when you know we I think we had three or four shows in the bag before COVID hit. <laughs> and then you know you were like let's let's keep it going. Like let's not stop this. Like we want to do it. Let's keep doing it. So um, I appreciate you. I appreciate your contributions to the show. I know it's not going to be the last time we see it because I'm sure that we're going to need you to fill in from time to time. We'd love to have you back uh, as your schedule allows. But uh, I really do appreciate you doing the podcast. And I feel like you and I have, you know, become pretty good friends, you know, over the last year and a half, too. And, you know, obviously, when we first started this, neither one of us had kids. We both have kids now. Uh, And and so we've got that bond. And so I I really appreciate your friendship and uh, everything that you've done on the show. You know, I I don't I appreciate everything you say, because that, you know, you're really echoing a lot of kind of what I was going through in my mind you know i slid it i remember thinking slide into your twitter dms like hey maybe the, maybe tommy would be interested in doing this you know i know you had the radio background and the thing that kind of what brought me to you was i feel like it was like you and i were both like like you said we didn't interact a lot while we were at southwestern but we'd interact over twitter because we were both always tweeting about sports right and it was that yeah. constant inner you know yeah. active hey yeah. i'm following along and and kind of one of those things and then us both being wichita guys it's just something i always you know felt that the wichita area was missing you know there's sports radio but even that you know certainly i think everybody on this podcast has their own opinions of of wichita sports talk radio but in really even with the the podcast scene is what what is now right i mean there isn't anything like that we say it every show we think we're the only folks that are doing this in wichita and i think it's true to this day um but i certainly did never expect us to get what are we a year and a half into this podcast you know, I mean, yeah. I never in my wildest dreams would have imagined we would have went that long. I wanted to see if we could give it a shot. We did it. I think it was great. You guys are going to keep it going. Um, it's just, you know, as life goes on, it certainly gets tough, right? When it's you get to a point and you go, okay, the podcast, unfortunately, is just a hobby at this point, right? It's not, you know, we're not, none of us are <laughs> living off the podcast money. So, you know, other things just start <laughs> no. to come to put. What podcast? Yeah, well, that's, I was exactly. gonna let the listeners, you know, kind of imagine. Hey, are they are they making money? What? <laughs> um, yeah, because you can hear all the advertising we do on this podcast. But but it's been absolutely <laughs> yeah, great. I've enjoyed it. It's been a lot of fun. Like you said, Tommy. I think we've been come friends over this. Blake, I didn't even know who you were, and certainly would consider you a, f- a friend <laughs> now. So not much. It's been to a know. lot of fun. I want to. I want to come back. Um, man, you know, you know, once the Chiefs get going, I'm gonna want to come just pretty much talk about how much I love Patrick Mahomes. So if you guys are willing to entertain that, I'll, I'll certainly want to come sure. back during football <laughs> season and set, maybe set Blake straight on KU football and how I think they're, you know, probably on the pace <laughs> to win six games or something like that when they haven't won a single game yet. But <laughs> wow, but nope, it's been, I, I guess the beer is, the beers to celebrate the end of the show have already started. For That's right. It, no, but it, I'll, I'll end with this. It's been absolutely great. I appreciate everybody who's listened. A lot of close friends, a lot of people I don't know, you know, have reached out to us and said they've listened. So anybody that was entertained by, by Tommy and I, Blake and I, the three of us, I just appreciate your time. Uh, you got a lot of things to listen to these days in, in the social media realm, podcast realm. And I appreciate that you tuned into us and the guys are going to keep it going. So keep on coming back. 
Very grateful to everybody. Grateful to you as well, Weston. Thanks so much for you for being a part of the show, letting me come in. And uh, for everybody else out there, we are going to be continuing the show. Tommy and I will be back. We're on a summer schedule, so we're going to be going every other week for a while. It's July, and I don't know if you've noticed this, if you've been listening this long. The Royals suck. So there's not a whole lot for us to do right now. But we are going to be going hot and heavy in September. KU football, Kansas State football, Kansas City Chiefs will wrap up the Royals season. So we're going to be off next week. We will return the week of July 25th will be our next episode here on the Keeper of the Games podcast. Right in the middle of Olympic season. Not sure that we're going to be talking a whole bunch about the Olympics, but if there are any Wichita connections in the Olympics, you be damn sure that we will find them and bring them to you. So... We say sayonara to Weston Mills. We say goodbye to you only for now. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. So, Blake Cripps signing off for the last time for our beloved audio listeners. Tommy, what's that Twitter handle? Well, not the last time for me. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. Not the last time for uh, you. But at Tweets from Tommy, yeah, you can find me on Twitter. And uh, Weston, I am sure that the Twitter handle is not changing for you. The hot takes won't stop at WMills94. Don't you worry. (laughs) Uh, hopefully the uh, the mock drafts will, <laughs> they will, will stop, but pr- probably not. Be <laughs> Crips, B-E-C-R-I-P-P-S on Twitter for me, and of course at Cogpod for the podcast. Weston, sailing off into the sunset for Tommy Castor and Weston Mills, Blake Crips. This has been the Keeper of the Games podcast. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Castor, Weston Mills, and Blake Cripps. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod.